Welcome to the first episode of King's Green. In each episode of this podcast, I will start by presenting five news related to the environment. And then I will interview one of King's students who takes action for a greener future. In this podcast, I want to explore some of the many different ways one can get engaged for the environment. I'm Leila Scharnholz. I'm a student here at King's in the World History and Cultures Master. And in this first episode of King's Green, I'll interview Camille Trottier, who is engaged for the environment through her studies here at King's and also through her job in the British company Re-Energize. Before turning to the interview with Camille, I will start with a quick look at this week's most important news on environmental topic in the world, in Europe, and also in the UK, and even here in London. I will try to give a few optimistic perspectives on the news, even if they're in general more depressing. I will start with really bad news. Um, a new study by the Copernicus Climate Change Service found that October 2023 was the warmest October ever recorded. These European scientists from this service had already measured that the month of June, July, August and September 2023 were the hottest on record. So these last findings um, lead to the estimation that 2023 will probably be the hottest year ever recorded on Earth. Um, this also leads to other records of temperature in the ocean with um, the highest global monthly average reached this year in August. For the country of Tuvalu, one of the world's countries most endangered by rising seas, these news are even worse than they are for us. But there is a bit of hope with a new agreement Tuvalu reached with Australia. There is a treaty which could mean a new place to live for uh, Tuvalu's more or less 1,000 um, citizens. Two islands from the country already disappeared in the Pacific Ocean and experts estimate that the nine remaining islands will also disappear in less than a century. And this treaty, new treaty with Australia, would mean that 282 Tuvalu residents will be offered climate-based asylum in Australia each year. Um, this, and this agreement follows already um, earlier news this year regarding Tuvalu, when the country changed its constitution and introduced a world unique concept. The country will still exist even once its territory will have disappeared in a few decades. And after looking at the Pacific Ocean, now we will have a look at the EU, where there are news which sound almost good. Lawmakers in the EU agreed on a new legislation, which is aiming at boosting biodiversity restoration. The law will require EU countries to implement measures to restore at least 20% 
of European land and marine areas by 2030. The only problem with this law, unfortunately, is that the deal was greatly and strongly weakened by important concession made to conservative EU uh, politicians who claim that this law would undermine EU food, secure, food security and harm farmers, EU farmers. Um, now this law still needs to be passed in the EU Parliament and Council, but it would still, if it passes, it would bring a lot uh, to restoration in, in, of um, the environment in the EU. After the EU, we'll look at the UK, where there are some fairly bad news. The UK government announced that it wants to grant more oil and gas licenses in future in the North Sea in the UK. The government plans to introduce a law which will allow each year oil and gas companies to bid for new licenses to drill for fossil fuels in the North Sea. Um, the UK government argues that these measures will strengthen the UK's energy security, but actually it really looks like it will weaken the country's chance to reach net zero in the near future. And I'm sorry we'll end with, again, bad news um, here in London where new figures reveal that the company Thames Water pumped at least 72 billion liters of sewage into the river uh, Thames since 2020. Liberal Democrats um, say that to avoid future pollution of the Thames River, we should um, have water companies which are public not like the Thames water, which is private and looking for profit. And it also calls, um, and Liberal Democrats also call for water companies to be more transparent in general on their pollution data and the sewage they would release in rivers. I know these news can be quite depressing, even if there are some more or less good news in between. But listening to someone who is talk taking action for better news in, in the near future is more encouraging. And so we will now listen to Camille's story about her engagement for a greener future. Hi Camille, thank you for being my guest today in King's Green. Hi Leila, it's really nice to be here. Um, I'll start by a quick introduction of yourself. Tell me if anything I say is wrong. So you grew up in Surrey in the southwest of London and you graduated from the University of Surrey in 2021. You completed a bachelor in liberal arts and sciences with a focus on politics and economics. And now you're um, a part-time student here at King's in the Master Climate Change, Environment Science and Policy. And you're also working as a study manager for Re-Energize, a British company that works with schools to reduce their carbon emission. Is that all right? Yes, that's <laughs> correct, yeah. And so before telling us more about your engagement through your studies and your job, I would like to hear the beginning of the story. So mm -hmm. how did you get interested in environmental issues? 
Yeah, so um, I'd say it all started relatively recently during my undergraduate degree. Um, so in the past five years, uh, I took this course um, called uh, the Global Graduate Award for Sustainability, which is offered at uh, the University of Surrey where I did my degree. And essentially we had guest lecturers come in each week and talk to us about various uh, climate issues um, and uh, measures that they were imp implementing uh, in their various uh, areas of uh, knowledge. Um, and that really started to get me thinking about uh, climate change as a whole. Obviously, I, I, you know, like everyone, had heard a lot on the news um, and learned a lot through media, but I, I didn't really have any formal understanding of the environmental climate change. So that kind of really jogged it. I mean, growing up, I always had an interest in nature, but it, it was nothing formal. So it, it was really during my undergraduate degree, whereby I was able to focus my studies a little more on climate change and then from there it's just grown well that's great yeah. like well done <laughs> the university of surrey and so during your bachelor you also did in this bachelor this bachelor you're talking about at the university of surrey you also did an internship in paris mm -hmm. um in the french company edf and at first people wouldn't think that the company edf is the most environmentally friendly company. So how was your experience regarding UDF's approach to environmental issues? Yeah, so I was really fortunate. I was um, carrying out an internship in the strategy department. So I was, you know, right at the top able to, um, well, I wasn't at the top, I was, <laughs> I was an intern, but I was able to work with people who were uh, deciding and uh, managing uh, EDF strategy. So I got a great insight on uh, what was going on and it was really motivating actually to be working around a lot of people who really did care I know that EDF does get a lot of um, let's say bad press and you know there's lots of issues with greenwashing and etc yes. but um, for me and the people I worked with uh, I don't know it, it it gave me an insight into actually the, the whole situation is a lot more complex than it's you know seems or is presented by the media um so yeah the my colleagues really were motivated they were focused on net zero you know they were passionate people uh, like ourselves who really did want to make a change but obviously there's institutions and systems in place which do make things more complicated so you can have a great group of people working towards something but that doesn't mean that it's going to happen the next day you know they were looking at net zero to 2050 and that was back in um was it? it was 2019 2019 2020 that we were uh well that i was uh carrying out my internship so um you know it, it was very much long term so i we'll see where <laughs> we'll see where edf goes i guess and see if they manage to actually achieve what what they set out but um my experience was very positive but you still decided afterwards to join a company that was more explicitly or is more explicitly mm -hmm. engaged for sustainability so the one you're working in today re-energize a british company and um, could you tell us more about what this company does and um what is your job in it as a study manager and also maybe also if you're why you you joined it yeah of course yeah so um in comparison to EDF, Re-Energize is a, a much smaller company, um, so it's an engineering consultancy firm uh, focused on uh, decarbonisation in the education sector. 
Um, so our main focus is on developing estate decarbonisation plans uh, and then also project management um, for schools. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, it's very different to EDF. Um, I personally, it's a great company and it's really interesting to be working on projects that are actually going to happen and they're going to happen in the next, you know, well, they, they're going to start in the next um, few years. Um, so you can really see the impact of your work, um, which obviously at, at EDF, you're just sort of a cog in a larger system. So it, it's a very different experience. And I do think there's obviously advantages and disadvantages of working at, at big and small companies. So you've just got to find what works for you. Um, for me, it's great. Um, my role as a study manager is um, to focus on developing net zero strategies, um, but I've also managed estate decarbonisation plans and um, and various um, other things because yeah the role is quite varied. I started as a project coordinator, um, so I was able to just learn a huge variety about different things from you know data collection and analysis to I've learned about carbon modelling. Just really varied, and I think that's something else that you get from a small company. Could you just tell us specifically what you do for these schools? Like if take oh, yes, one school in London, what would you do for for them? Yeah, so um, let's say we're getting an estate decarbonisation plan. Um, that plan looks at um, decarbonising the estate, obviously, in terms of heat, power and transport. Um, so we'll look at how low carbon technologies um, can be implemented to bring down uh, the carbon footprint of the school. Um, so for example, we'll look at heat pumps, um, if the school has enough space, we'll look at ground source heat pumps, uh, if it's a small city-based school, let's say, uh, it will be more air source heat pumps. Um, just then in a few words, what's a heat pump, just to be sure? Uh, so it's basically a heat pump will replace um, normally a gas boiler. So it's, it's a new system, it's a renewable technology okay. um, for heating. Um, so yeah, so we'll look at those, that's the main focus, um, because heat is the biggest contributor to a school's um, or generally the biggest contributor to a school's um, carbon footprint. Uh, we'll also look at uh, implementing energy efficiency measures uh, and then on the power side, on-site power generation, so like solar panels, that sort of thing. Um, obviously, it's the engineers that develop all of that. I'm, I'm not an engineer, so um, oh. I'm on the management side of things. But, um, well, the pro, uh, project oh. management, not company management, obviously. <laughs> um, but... Um, But I think that's, yeah. this sentence is a good transition to my next question because the master you're doing right now mm -hmm. um, enables you to learn a bit more even about the more the scientific side also that maybe in your company the engineers would do. So you're doing a master here at King's that is uh, very interdisciplinary. It's called Climate Change, Environment, Science and Policy. And you have both classes in more political aspects, social aspects, and also scientific ones, if I'm all right. Yeah. So why did you decide to do this master? Um, and what do you like in it and how is it going? Yeah, so far it's going really well. It's been really interesting. The lectures are great. The lecturers are great as well. Um, the content has been very insightful, let's say. Um, It's not directly linked to my current role at Reenergize. It's something that I really did because I wanted to pursue, um, I don't know, the academic side of things and get a better understanding of policy and science. Um, 
and um, I don't know long term career-wise I, I don't really um, you know I, I like to take things one day at a time but um, eventually I, I am very interested in policy side of things um, but um, yeah th those are my main my main ideas behind pursuing it but master yeah and how um, how are the classes you're having do you also take more scientific one and are you interested in, in in them and is it sometimes a bit difficult to follow them or yeah. how is it, how um, is it sometimes the science between behind climate change and environmental um, issues is mm. seems really difficult yeah no <laughs> it is um, I it, it's been going well so far it is it is hard it's challenging um, but I feel like it, it's pushing me and I, I like to be busy I, you know I wouldn't do a master's alongside working if if I didn't um, but yeah it is it's definitely challenging uh, on my course you can choose to either do a policy pathway or a science uh, pathway so I've chosen the policy pathway because obviously that's my main interest um, and that's what I have more of a background in I don't have a science background but there is still a fair amount of science in the the modules I'm taking at the moment um, so I think gradually we'll, we'll get more towards the policy but it, it, it's really useful to understand how the science feeds into the policy I don't think you can really go in and expect to understand policy without understanding actually why do we need this policy what's you know what what yeah what's the purpose um but no i definitely say it <laughs> in terms of um you know uh well I, i can't really speak to it because i've not done those modules yet but we'll, we'll see when it gets more to the modeling side of things uh, how i cope but I'm, i think it should be all right i'm sure it will be interesting yeah. <laughs> i'd love to take these modules too um yeah. <laughs> now we talk a bit about uh, your personal um, academic and mm. professional action engagement and now if we take a bit of a bigger perspective mm -hmm. if we look at how to tackle climate change in general yeah. of course it seems really difficult and what is your perspective on tackling climate change what is in your opinion what will be sorry um, key in your opinion to um, tackling climate change, which kind of actions, more individual action, like changing the way you consume mm. the goods, you eat, you live, or even activism, like people really taking mm -hmm. strong action, or must it all come from the government with law passing, passing through and imposing mm. new rules on people to climate change yeah no I think it's really important to, to think about that actually um, I think it's definitely going to take effort from all sides um, I, th I, I do think it depends on the sector so um, there are certain sectors where it's going to need to come from government and certain sectors where it's going to need to come from uh, people in collective action so for example um, let me think if you take the transport industry um, in the UK right now it's far cheaper to fly well generally obviously you might you might be able to find a good deal but it's far cheaper to fly than it is to take the train uh, let's say to, to Scotland um, and I don't think we can really expect people to uh, make choices that financially aren't viable for them you know I personally wouldn't like as much as I, I prefer getting the, cha the train it's best for the environment I personally would still take a plane because of that price difference so I think that 
that's where it's uh, government intervention is needed to allow people to make the environmental choices um, without it having a negative economic impact on them personally because otherwise people are going to start thinking well I, you know I, why should I have to um, pay out to do something when it's only me it's not going to make a big difference so um, yeah so for the transport industry that's what I think but if I were to take a different industry for example the agricultural industry whereby um, if we're looking at um, red meat consumption and uh, the methane emissions from from that industry I think that collective action could have a huge impact if people try to to switch to uh, um, low carbon alternatives for example um, but if that happens on a mass scale as demand goes down obviously <laughs> supply is going to go down and it's just basic economics but that um, the market can be altered in that way and therefore people can have an impact and I, I don't think anyone should undermine the uh, the the impact that collection act, the collective action uh, can have um, obviously I do understand that it's, it's more nuanced than this and you know food is embedded in culture and we need to consider everyone's different um, perspectives but yeah <laughs> I hope those two examples sort of illustrate slightly what I'm trying to get at um, no you're saying uh, clearly um, in your opinion it has to come from both sides yeah that's the only yeah. way we'll tackle it exactly together yeah and um, in terms of um, you know protesting and activism and whatnot I'm you know I, I do strongly support it I do think that there's always got to be that sort of extreme side to counter all the you know climate de deniers for example um, and if you take other events through history, for example, um, feminism and women's rights, without the suffragettes, we, we wouldn't be where we are today. So you need to, to think about in history right now, people might have all these negative opinions of people like Just uh, Hoyle, but actually in history, you know, look at, look at where those extreme activists got us. They, they took us forwards. And I, I, I personally think that, that that's really important. Um, also don't think that the level of disruption is uh, is enough for us to be hating on people um, I actually I'll, I'll just throw this in here I um, I watched a really interesting documentary which I would recommend to everyone it's um it's Chris Packham uh, is it is it time to break the law I think that's what it's called um, anyway it's a really good documentary uh, and he speaks to activists um, it was recommended as part of my uh, well, reading list, it's a documentary, but you know, um, for one of my modules, and um, it, it looks into this activism perspective a lot, and yeah, it's really interesting. <laughs> so, after this documentary recommendation, I'll ask mm. for last question yes. and a more practical recommendation. Mm -hmm. um, what would be your advice to young people, students here at King's, who want to take action for a greener future? Yeah, I would say. It's really important to uh, surround yourself with discourse on the environment and to try and learn it as much as you can and uh, you know really think about everything around you. Surround yourself with, with people who are also talking about the environment. Um, like you're doing with your masters, right? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's about putting yourself in that position whereby you're actually going to learn because you know you're not you can learn as only so much from watching the news and whatnot but you need to actually try and 
taken different opinions and perspectives from different places um, and have different sources of, of education, if that makes sense. Um, I think it's also really important to question everything that you hear. So don't just take something as fact and try to build your own opinion and um, you know do what's right for you. You shouldn't put yourself in an uncomfortable position or you shouldn't be scared of, of climate change because obviously it can be quite scary and overwhelming. Um, so yeah, I realise I've given <laughs> I've given a couple of things that people That's can good. do, but yeah, <laughs> um, a bit of a list, but yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Camille, for being my guest today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of King Screen. I hope you all enjoyed it and I really hope you will listen to the next one. Bis bald.